those of you listening, if uh, you're just kind of joining us or hearing a bit, you can hear all of this on patreon.com forward slash creation instruction as well as some other things there too. But um, just to remind you that Revelation is basically a pattern of what has already been written in the Old Testament. We see all kinds of other patterns in the New Testament. The question is really going to be become, at what point does the vision that we see here in Revelation shift from the what is, what was, to what will be? And we've kind of talked about that in early chapters, that that was the outline of the book of Revelation. And it seems to be pretty clear that Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says, after this, after the churches, was the period that was John describing as the time that what is. And now we're going to be getting into maybe more of the what will be. It is a pattern, and I can't make this clear enough because tonight we are going to talk about some things that I think are current events going on that very well could tie into the what will be. However, with that said, I could look through history and show you a number of times where we have seen patterns like this take place. We could very well just be in another one of those patterns that is still pointing to the final fulfillment. Or, this might be it. This could be the last of the patterns of what will be. I don't know. But I don't think we've seen anything quite like what we're going through now in history. It's unique. It is worldwide. We certainly have seen things that affected what you know, was known as the world back in the days of Daniel. There were world powers. Babylon, a world power. We'll talk a little bit about Babylon tonight as well. But I just want to put that disclaimer out that I don't know. I don't know if this is it. But I'm telling you, we are seeing patterns at the very least exactly what we're seeing here described in Revelation chapter 6. Um, so, chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. Now, some are going to say this is the beginning of what is called in Scripture as the tribulation period. We often hear about words like the pre-trib. Do you believe in a pre-trib rapture, a post-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture? Well, if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, the church is now gone. And everything that you're going to read in chapter 6 are for those who have been left behind. I will say I am not a pre-trib rapture guy. And you will see why as we go. I hope that doesn't offend you, and I hope that you'll at least have open ears to continue to listen and then make up your own mind. I do not believe it's a salvational issue of what you believe on pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. But I just can't see it scripturally. The arguments that are used, we kind of, we'll talk about that a little bit as we go, but in chapter 5, we see that there are these saints in heaven, and we don't see the word church used anymore, and just kind of more abstract ideas like that. 
one of the biggest things I'll talk about later, that we're not going to see the wrath of God. Well, I do not believe chapter 6 is the wrath of God. There is a difference between the tribulation and God's wrath. And I think that's a part that people miss as they try to look at all of end times and the evils that take place, they all lump it into this tribulation, this time of God's wrath. Well, it isn't. Part of it is man's wrath as well. So we're going to unpack that in more detail as we go. But in short, the seals are man's wrath. The trumpets is where we see God's wrath beginning. And I think it will say as much right here in the book of Revelation. So as a result, just kind of keep that in mind as far as your, your patterns that you see. We are now in man's wrath on the world, not God's wrath on the world. But he allows things to take place to prepare for his wrath to begin. To give you a final chance, you might say. We'll talk about that tonight, maybe even in, with this Roe versus Wade being overturned. What, what is with that? I, I'll admit, I'm shocked. I didn't think that would happen. I, I just didn't think it was going to happen. But maybe it was for some other reasons we'll discuss later. Um, grateful it happened. So, uh, another thing we're going to look at, I doubt we're going to get into it too much tonight, but Matthew 24. I am telling you, Matthew 24 are the six seals of Revelation. It is exact. We will look at that in greater detail. And when you see in Matthew 24, when it says, immediately after the distress of those days... The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and so on. Um, that's in Revelation. It's in the, the, the seals here. Like I said, we'll look at it in more detail later. Um, another kind of pattern, just as before we get going, chapter 6 is kind of the bad stuff. Chapter 7 is going to be the good stuff. Sealing of the 144,000, the protection of God's people. We don't see that until after chapter 6. Um, I think that Revelation chapter 7, in the good part, when you get to about verse 9 to verse 19, is in a sense, if I could maybe sum it up in a picture, would be Sukkot, basically. Uh, so maybe just put that in your notes for now, and like I said, we'll talk more about that as we get going. Now with that said... It's possible that chapter 7 is really the beginning of the tribula tribulation then. We call this the tribulation, but we have to get our terms right. There's the time of Jacob's trouble. We always attach that as the tribulation. But is the tribulation God's wrath? Or is the tribulation man's wrath? For the sake of what the verbiage I'm going to use, I think that... This, we'll call it tribulation, but again, it's man's wrath or the time of Jacob's trouble, but not God's wrath. However you want to view it, but just so that you understand that in the terminology that I'm using. When I say tribulation, I'm not talking about man's wrath. Or God's wrath, sorry, thank you. Um, we'll get to chapter 12 later. I'm not going to give you too much on that because it's going to be a while and you'll forget anyway, but... 
that's just kind of a, a little rundown of what you have in store. Before we get going, I also, just so that you can keep a, an understanding of this book, I want to just briefly go over what we've already learned in the first five chapters. The first part in chapter one, we saw the basic introduction. The who, the why, the how, all of those kind of things. We saw God as a judge standing among the churches, the lampstands of God. We're basically seeing a description of God in the church. In chapter 2, it shifted back to the earth, and we basically see the churches that God is watching over. You saw kind of a heavenly scene in chapter 1, God standing among the churches, then it takes you to earth and you get to see a description of the churches, both in chapter 2 and 3. So you're seeing what those churches are known for, how they're following God, how they're not following God. Then we got to chapter 4 and it shifted back to heaven again and we saw God sitting on his throne. Around him were the angels and the saints all praising him. And you're seeing a description of a courtroom about ready to be uh, in session. Chapter 5 then, the judge comes in and takes his seat. You might say the deed of the earth, the verdict is handed to him. And he is the only one that has the power and authority to open it. And now we're going to see what's on that scroll that nobody else could open. So that's a brief rundown of you know, what we've seen so far. From here on out, things get more detailed and, and I think more applicable to what we need to be watching out for. I think the rest is stuff that's very vague, conceptual, past history, whatever, but now we're going to get into some details like we need to be watching for these things, okay? As I put on the sheet that I had given you guys, the important part that we're going to look at tonight, and I think we're only going to get through the first four horses tonight, but remember that there is this 4 two, one pattern where the first four will follow one theme, the next two another theme, and then the last one, it's nothing. It's the beginning of the next seven. And so we can expect tonight with the first four horses to all be following a certain theme. And then there will be a break where we're going to see uh, a heavenly scene. It shifts to heaven more than earth. And then when the seventh seal goes, it's, it's nothing. It's just the beginning of the trumpets. Okay, So there's always going to be a commercial break between six and seven. What that means is chapter 6 is going to cover the six seals. Then there will be a commercial break, chapter 7. Then we're going to pick back up towards the end of chapter 7. Maybe it might be verse 8. I don't remember exactly, or chapter 8, but I think it's chapter 8. Then you're going to start seeing the trumpets begin. But there's always that commercial break between the sixth and the seventh one. We'll talk more about it when we get to it. Um... In a sense, then, there's a commercial break between the sixth and the seventh church. Okay, because there's first seven churches before the seals. That commercial break seems to be this period of silence that we've been in for some time. I don't know. 
the churches, it's the most difficult to see that. The rest, it is as clear as can be. The commercial break, the pattern, everything is very, very clear. All right. So with that said, let's get started here in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Remember, this is the one that took his seat, the judge, the one that looks at if he had been slain. We discovered it was Jesus, and he alone can open the scroll. I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Daniel, going back to Daniel chapter 12, it says, So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be after he had this great vision? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And he goes on and it says, Many are going to go to and fro to increase in knowledge, and then the end will come. And if you go back and read in Daniel 12, which I would encourage you to do so on this, He's going to talk about an Antichrist coming and, uh, you know, that there's going to be a period of 1,290 days, but blessed is he who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. Uh, it, this is the, what Daniel was talking about. But Daniel was told, go your way, forget about it, just live life for a while because the words are going to be sealed until the time of the end. Right now, the Lamb opened one of these seals. That's the time of the end. And these words, for the first time, are being revealed. I personally think we're only getting a little picture in Revelation, even of what is on that scroll. We see what happens, but we don't see exactly the words written on it but we're seeing the result of the words being written on it. Anyway, what is sealed is now opened and never has been until this time. As I said before many times, and will continue to say many times as the examples come up, Satan does everything he can to mimic what God does in everything. Even the resurrection. You're going to see later that there's going to be the Antichrist, in essence, that, you know, is, looks like he has been slain, but rises from the dead. And maybe that resurrection is what causes him to be followed. We know that for Christianity, the resurrection, if, if the resurrection is not true, our faith is in vain. That's what the scriptures tell us. So, I'm going to show you here... We may not understand all of these things now. We see dimly, but there's a day coming when this is going to be clear. What's going on here will be clear. I personally feel in my mind, in my understanding of Revelation, and my understanding of what's going on in the world right now, I feel like it's starting to clear up. Maybe it's just a pattern again, but I feel like it's starting to clear up what we're about to read. We'll see. But let me just show you a few verses that tell us this. Matthew 24 in the New Testament, when the disciples even ask, what will be the signs of your coming? So clearly about end times, Jesus' answer said, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, seems to be the Antichrist, 
spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So we don't have to wonder if Daniel was talking about, you know, something of just maybe Antiochus Epiphanes. I think he pointed to that, but that wasn't the final fulfillment of it. The final fulfillment of it was the end times. It says, let the reader understand. You will understand. that You guys are going to get it. Daniel 12.10 said, Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. They will not repent. They won't be able to repent because, guys, you can't even repent without the Holy Spirit's power. It says, None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise, the righteous, they will understand. You're going to see while the rest of the world is blind. Kind of makes sense a little bit in our world today. Jeremiah 23, 20, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We've talked about that many times. If you think he's coming like a thief, you're on the wrong side. The fact that in days to come that this is you're going to understand this clearly, I hear many people say, well, Revelation is too hard to understand, so they don't even look at it. I'll tell you something. If you're not studying the Word, of course you're not going to understand. You better be in the Word to understand the world. And so we have to be studying this book. Isaiah 18.3, All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you will see it. And if you do a, a word search for banner throughout the Old Testament, there are dozens of verses that talk about this, where there is a banner that will be raised and the nations will go to it. I frankly think it's going to, well, it talks about Zion, that it's Jerusalem. I don't know if it's the new Jerusalem or if it's the time before that in preparation for the Armageddon battle. But do a word search for banner and you will see that is many, many times. And the banner seems to be Christ. Okay, so you, I'll let you search that one out. That's a whole Bible study we could do just on that in itself. So another point I want to make is that it's unnecessary for us then to make unclear predictions regarding what's going to go on in Revelation. I'm tired, frankly, of hearing throughout the past 20 years or better of what was going on in the end time. You know, uh, this could be Armageddon, you know, and the raptures could take place in the next two weeks or the next year. Or How many times have we heard prophetic revelation and it has not happened? Every time. Yeah? <laughs> and so as a result, we have to be very careful. So... This, again, is my disclaimer. I don't know if the events we're seeing right now are it. But if it is, it will become clear to you. So you don't need to fret. You don't have to worry. But you do watch. The Bible tells us to watch. But I am not making predictions here tonight. I am not telling you, hey, the seals are open. 
But I am saying, at the very least, we're in a pattern of the seals. And it will become clear by the Holy Spirit to you, if that's the case, as time goes on. The godly aspect, it's just like he says here in Daniel, the wicked are going to continue to be wicked, but the wise are going to understand. The wise are going to hear. Now, let me tell you, you're not going to hear some prophet's voice. You're not going to hear some guy's dream. What you're going to hear is the word of God speaking to you. I have been talking with our family a lot here in recent weeks in the regard to there's so many different ideas out there, even like what we believe here in this group, for the most part. How can you tell what's right and what's wrong? For us to try and, and keep a Sabbath day, and yet the world is out there, it doesn't really matter. You don't need to keep a Sabbath day. How can you tell? There is only one thing. Guys, it isn't somebody else's opinion or somebody else's church doctrine. It has to be the Word of God that you're getting this from. It's the Word that's going to speak to you. Not a prophet, not a, not a dream, not an experience. The Word. That is the key. And not just a verse, but the Word in context. All of it coming together. So, I do not want to allow you guys to slip into complacency when it comes to studying the book of Revelation because, well, nobody can know and we don't really know now and so let's just put it aside, like I said. We have to study it. We have to watch as the Spirit works through the world and through the Word. So, back to our opening verses here. A couple of things I want to focus on here is there. I looked and behold a white horse who sat on it had a bow crown was given to him he went out conquering and to conquer who is this man who is he conquering well there's a number of things we know that the antichrist is bent on conquest the prophecies of him we see in first thessalonians 2 he's going to be a man of lawlessness uh, he is going to be a proud, boastful person. We have pictures or types of the Antichrist that we'll talk about here in a moment in the book of Maccabees or historically in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which is what we study around the time of Hanukkah. Okay? So we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit because there's another time in Revelation you're going to see a guy on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19. These are not the same people. Revelation 19 is Jesus coming back. This is the Antichrist. Now, as I already told you, Matthew 24 is going to parallel this. And the very beginning of it says, So, when you see the abomination that causes desolation set up in the temple, let the reader understand. And... That's the beginning of it. That doesn't sound like Jesus setting up an abomination that causes desolation. A couple of other things that we can compare. In Revelation 19, the guy who's coming, it tells us who he is. He has on his leg, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. His name is on him. We don't have to question it in chapter 19. When the guy comes in chapter 19, he has a crown on his head. 
He has a sword, but that sword is going to be coming out of his mouth. This guy has a bow, but he also has a crown. In English, we just see crown. But in the Greek, it is very different. Here, this Greek in chapter 6 for the word crown is Stephanos. In chapter 19, it's diadem. A Stephanos crown is a victor's crown. It is the kind that you won when you ran the Olympics and you had this little olive kind of wreath thing that went on your head. It was temporary. It would wither and go away. The diadem was the crown of kings, ruling, permanent, authority. That is not the kind of crown this guy's wearing. So big, big difference. Uh, we also see that this writer here is given a crown. When he is given this power, he is given this authority, it is for a short time, a temporary time, and it's to conquer. And people have a hard time with this. They say, why would God allow that, give him this power? Well, thankfully, we've already studied the book of Revelation, and we could ask the same thing. Why did God allow Haman to have that authority, to have the signet ring, to have the authority to be bent on conquering and conquest of the Jews or God's people? And the answer was to destroy Haman gave him power so that he would dig his own hole. The What's that? Exactly. And that is exactly what is happening here. And so keep that in mind as you study this. You can look at this two ways. Oh no, the Antichrist is coming. Or the Antichrist is coming. He's being given power to dig his own hole. Dig away. Okay? in faith in what God has promised is going to happen. So when we see the world falling apart, so when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and not be fearful, but to walk and talk in faith. Now, try to remove yourself from our world for a moment and put yourself back in the first century. You read, somebody's reading this to you, and you see a guy who has a crown and a bow. Now, because we do live in this society, it may not be as clear, but I'm telling you this. I don't think there'd be hardly a person that would hear this that wouldn't have an image already come up in their head because of the culture they lived in. And that image would be that of Apollo. Or maybe Nimrod. Either one. Now I have talked about this before when we looked a little bit at COVID before. But uh, first of all, let me touch on Nimrod. I'm not going to talk too much about him. But you remember Nimrod spoke it of in the Bible. He is the founder of Babel. The Tower of Babel. He is the founder of Babylon. Nimrod was a mighty hunter against God. Okay, he, was, he was basically, it seems, a hunter of men, the souls of men. 
He is a type of Antichrist. That same spirit of Nimrod is in the same spirit of all the Antichrists throughout history, all the way up to the Antichrist of the end. Now, historically speaking, what we know is that he married a gal named Semiramis, and the two of them had a child named Tammuz. Tammuz was then later out hunting one day, was killed by a wild boar. And we see that uh, Nimrod also uh, is going to die, and they rise again. We're seeing a pattern, right? Dying and rising again. Being sent to hell and coming out throughout Greek mythology and all of that. Jesus, it's a mimicking of the true historical reality of what Jesus does. The part that I want to focus on is this, is the mimicking. This pattern throughout all of history, throughout all of evilness, it is that dying and rising, a mimicking and a power and all of that that we're seeing here that the Antichrist is going to do. Because of this, Nimrod throughout history was often pictured with a a bow. He was a mighty hunter. So it stands to reason. Jeremiah is also going to speak of this, but I just want you to kind of picture these horses. The first one we're seeing is the white horse, then there's going to be a red, then a black, and then a pale. The word for pale is like a, a, almost like a, a green sickness color. Okay? And so just maybe let that image stick to help you maybe see the, the pattern here as we go on. But a white horse oftentimes seems to be one coming in peace. We use a white flag for surrendering and all of that kind of thing. This white horse, he is bent on conquering and conquest, but... I believe he's going to come peacefully. Even though it's deceptive. Jeremiah says this, The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. They shall go into the thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken and not a man shall dwell in it. If you go back and look at the Jeremiah, the context of this is God's judgment. And we see this happening. Okay, this is what Revelation is saying. Here's a guy with a, a, a crown, a bow, and he's bent on conquest, and he's riding a horse. So maybe this isn't by itself a lot to go on, but as we continue, I think you're going to see it more. But following this pattern, let me take you back in history to the period of the Maccabees, of which we, why we celebrate Hanukkah. Daniel predicted it would happen. So it is biblical. Some people say, well, Jesus, he celebrated holidays that weren't in the Bible, and therefore Easter and Christmas and things like that, they make that a parallel and say, since Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, and that wasn't something that the Old Testament said that we should do, he was celebrating man-made festivals. Yes and no. The only reason, you could say the same thing for Purim. The only reason you have them is because those were from God's deliverances, and Daniel did indeed talk about it, predicted exactly what would happen at Hanukkah. But in 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 29, 
good history of what happened here when Antiochus IV, or sometimes known as Antiochus Epiphanes, which meant God manifest, that's what he wanted to be called, God manifest, Again, an antichrist figure speaking boastfully, a man of lawlessness because he's going to you know, not allow them to follow the law of God. It says, two years later, the king sent to the cities of Judah a chief collector of tribute, and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Deceitfully, he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him. But he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. We could look at all kinds of other parallels, but here I want you to see that he's coming on a white horse. He's coming in peace is what it's going to look like. He's going to be the Savior. Hey, you guys got problems? You can't afford your gas anymore? You, you can't afford to buy food anymore? I've got the solution. I've got it. And this is what we're going to do, and everybody's going to go, oh, man, we want to vote for him because he has delivered us. He's out there fighting for us. This is good stuff happening in our country. Maybe God is on our side. This is God's man, whatever the case might be. But then all of a sudden, he's going to turn on you. That's the pattern of the Antichrist throughout history. Pharaoh. Was Pharaoh good to the Israelites at first? You bet he was. Sucked them right in until the day he turned on them. Adolf Hitler, was, was he good? Did he look like he was going to be the one to get the people, Germany out of trouble? Yep. And then he turns overnight, it seems. That's the pattern of the Antichrist. That's why a white horse. Whoever this guy is, you might remember me saying here back at the election... I was saying, I do not believe Trump is the Antichrist, but he's going to look just like that. The people are going to love him because it seems like he's the one that can get us out of this mess. Forget God. We don't need God. We just need God to appoint a man. Okay? Now, again, I'm not against Trump. I'm just saying that's what he's going to look like. That's the pattern that we're seeing. Going back to Apollo, I think in the first century, the, the person that would have came to mind most when they were read Revelation 1 would have been Apollo. There was one that, that was most familiar to their culture of that day. Apollo was the son of Zeus, again, mimicking an anti-Christ. Christ is the son of God. Zeus is the chief deity. Apollo, the son of the chief deity. He was a god of light. What is Jesus? The light of the world, through whom all things were made. He is the god of prophecy. Jesus is prophecy. Moral virtue and healing, all of which are fitting of Jesus, fits perfectly, except for, in addition to all those things, he is also the god of plagues and disease. Hmm. Yeah. Revelation 9. Jumping ahead a little bit, I want to show you something here. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Their power was to hurt men for five months. 
They had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, which you could probably say is an antichrist authority, right? <coughs> What's his name? It's Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. I did some study in this week to try and find out is Apollo and Apollyon the same thing? There seems to be differences of opinions out there, but for the most part, it seems it's the same one. So there is a connection to the Antichrist and Apollo, it seems to me. Notice what's on his head. A crown. And he is most often pictured with a crown and a bow or a crown and a harp at times because he was also associated with pan, music. Uh, what was Satan, the cherub, Satan associated with? Music. He's called pan. Right? So there are a lot of connections here that are very interesting. Um, so anyway, here in Revelation 19 that, or 9, that is the fifth trumpet. We'll get to that later. We'll look more at it at that time. But for now, I just want you to see these patterns. Um, let's see. He, he was known as the leader of the muses because of the music. He also has four children, one of them being Asclepius which is the uh, healing god. It is pictured with a pole and a snake wrapped around it. You've all seen it because it's on the back of almost every ambulance. That is from the god Asclepius. It's a symbol for the American Medical Association. For the American Medical Association. Let me tell you, these gods, these false gods, in some way, shape, or form, are still alive today. Maybe worshipped in a different form because of our culture. But pharmakia, you go back to the book of Enoch, Genesis 6, 4, where we see the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. It goes and describes what was going on there. And what do they do? They teach, when these fallen angels come down, they teach them about pharmakia, spells and enchantments. So, what's that? Exactly, in my opinion. So, things like that are what we see. Here's another picture of Apollo. We know that what the Antichrist wants to do is to unite the world as one. Remember Nimrod, what was his goal? To be one. Here's the Tower of Babel, one language, one government, one leader. And so this is also what Antiochus tried to do. He tried to unite them as one. This is how they went about conquering. Constantine did the same thing. We can go on and on and show you throughout history these pictures, these patterns of Antichrists. That's what they always do. That's what he's going to do. What is the, the main theme that we're hearing today? Globalism, not nationalism, globalism, one world government, one world currency. The, the Tower of Babel all over. So, again, we might just be in another pattern 
Just like we've seen in the past, these patterns, or this could be the final pattern. Uh, one other thing here about Apollo that's interesting to me personally is basically what had happened is he went and he was offended. He was kind of a snowflake apparently as well. He was offended and he went and had attacked Pythia, the Python type thing, uh, Pythons at Delphi. And because of this, Zeus basically told him that he had to go cleanse the place. He apparently cleanses Delphi. And so Delphi became a known, known place of an oracle at Delphi called Pythia, who then sat over this big pit. And we've been there to see this. And they would apparently they said that they would burn drugs and things underneath it. So as the smoke would come up, she would get high on this thing. And then she would give oracles to the people. But Apollo was one of the chief gods then that was worshipped and honored there at Delphi where this all took place. And so, um, like I said, just kind of another thing that he, he did, just the drugs and another connection with that and all these oracles of prophecy. Remember I said that he was kind of God of prophecy in a sense. All right, um, Verse 3, so white horse is the Antichrist. He's going to come peacefully, but really he, his, what he's bent on is conquest. That's his goal. He's got a crown that's temporary, that's been given to him. God gives him this power. So that's what you need to know for the first horse. One of the things that I don't know that I wish I did was how long of a time frame does this take? I have no answer for you. The only answer I can give you is that it's going to be a longer time period than the trumpets. And the trumpets are a longer time period than the bowls because we see within the seventh church, all seven seals will take place. But then, in all those seven seals, which is not a very long time then, is going to be within the seventh seal, all seven trumpets will take place. And within the seventh trumpet, all seven vials will take place. So it gets faster and faster. We also know that it seems to indicate by Jesus' words that all this will come upon this generation. That all of this is going to happen within one generation's time. But beyond that, I can't tell you. That's just what Scripture tells us. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Now keep in mind, the red horse is a result of the white horse. This isn't a separate thing altogether. This is because of the white horse. So this gives us some idea of how the white horse is going to attack. So at first, how is the war? He comes peacefully, but notice what he does is he pits people against one another. Because it says that he takes peace from the earth that people should kill one another. He's not doing the killing. He's simply taking peace from the earth. Right now, the world has never been more divided than I think ever in history. 
I could be wrong on that, but I look at World War II or during the World Wars, you had large groups of people united. We don't even see that in America at all, let alone the world. It seems different to me. Maybe you can disagree with me, but that's what I see. Look at what Zechariah in chapter 1 said. And again, I really would encourage you to go back and look at these verses. It says, During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. I'm telling you, Zechariah saw the same thing. This isn't new to Revelation. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, What are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I'll show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. So these things are, notice that the peace is taken from the earth. And this is the red horse doing it. The red horse seems to be war, and I think even more so communism. Again, I kind of talked about this back when we went through things at COVID, but I think it's worth going over again, obviously, because we're studying it out right now. Um, the Antichrist is going to, as the scriptures say, he will cast truth to the ground. There must be some connection. If the Bible says, okay, he's going to be proud, he's going to be a man of lawlessness, he's going to cast truth to the ground, um, the people are going to be upset because some people are not, they're going to want to stand on truth and the other people can't see truth. That sounds like what we're living through right now more than ever before. In all of my lifetime, my parents' lifetime, my grandparents' lifetime, my great-great-grandparents' lifetime, there was never a time where truth was so blurred. And not even blurred, blackened out. There's no logic, reason. It is absolutely illogical, the things that people say and do. And truth has been cast to the ground more than it ever has in any time of history, I think. I mean, even you go back to the time when they worshipped these false gods, they had an understanding of spirituality. I can go to India and see the same thing. I mean, I know it's weird and it certainly goes against our culture, but at least I think they're closer to the truth than we are because they are worshiping gods that are real. They're just evil, demonic, spiritual. They know the spiritual world is real, but America has wiped all of that out. I think they're even closer to the truth than we are. Yeah, we're, we're too educated for that. Yeah. I think, and as I mentioned before, going back to this white horse a little bit, it is a possibility, and I'm still, I'm still riding this, that Corona could be part of the white horse. That he just hasn't, the person in charge of this has not been made known fully. Because Corona, the very word Corona, when we see this, it literally is crown. That's what the word corona means, crown. 
Thessalonians is a great verse. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion that they would believe the lie. God is the one doing it. And so, we can find comfort in that. Because he's also the one giving you eyes to see, to understand what's going on in the world. Um, I think that to identify who this Antichrist is going to be, that you have to remember the red, that these are going to be connected. It's going to help you identify the Antichrist because he's going to be behind what's going on. Um, we know that there are all kinds of things that we could look at you know, a couple of years ago when we were having the HR 6666 uh, edict, whatever you'd call it, where you could go into the homes uh, the, to track, you know, COVID where it was and they could take you out of the home. I mean, it gave them all kinds of power. It was just interesting the number of that bill, 6666. Um, we could look at all of those kinds of things, but I'm not going to put too much weight behind that. I think that there will be things like that that will happen in the reality of it, but I'm not going to make that my proof that you know this is the Antichrist or any of that kind of stuff. Well, going back to Zechariah, look in chapter 6, just lest you think that it's not talking about the same thing. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled. Exact same colors, just a little different order here. All of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. Now what's interesting here is it says these are the spirits of heaven. I wouldn't think the white horse is a spirit of heaven, maybe from, because, you, you know, if the devil and so on. So my question, and I don't have an answer, just a thought, is this another mimicking? Or is it, again, since God gives them the power, is it just the same thing? I, I don't know, but just a thought to think of here but nonetheless this is what we see in Zechariah 6 and it's the same thing in Revelation um, one thing I want to look at here too that's a little odd but I think just because of what's going on in the world we got to look at it Daniel 243 when we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of these statues and the statues have iron in their feet, iron and clay mixed together. And it says, And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. For years, up until I think maybe a year ago or two at best, I never saw that line that they will combine with the seed of men. And in some studying that I was doing, it made the, the connection that 
In Genesis, we know that Satan goes after Eve, her seed. There has always been, for Satan, a desire to corrupt the seed of man. I think, personally, in clean and unclean, that's one of the reasons why that's important. I don't understand all of the things that go on. I don't even know. I just These are some thoughts that go through my head. Uh, we were talking a little while ago. The FBI has now discovered that when you get like a liver transplant, let's say I got a liver transplant from somebody, I could go murder somebody and possibly get away with it simply because when I left DNA behind, it's not my DNA. It's the DNA of the person I got the liver from. And the FBI has realized that this is more often than not. That at the very least, you will have a mixture of the two DNAs, but you can give off the DNA of the person that you were received the, the liver from. Is it just the liver, not like a heart? Not necessarily. You know, God tells us to stay away from unclean things. Is there a reason for that? Does that corrupt the flesh of man in some way? I don't know. I know Mark 7 talking about what goes in the body goes out, but he was talking about washing of hands. It, the context of that is different. And so these are just thoughts that make me wonder because something like this is like, what does this mean that these, and who is the they? Is it the iron and the clay? But even in this, the iron and the clay aren't really iron and clay. They're a picture of something else. But they are not going to combine together. They're not going to work together. But they're going to be in the seed of men. Uh, yeah. Technically, we saw different empires, which we saw the first one was Babylon. And then the next one were the Greeks, or the Medes and the Persians. Then the Greeks... And then the Romans. And so the last one was the Romans. So where there's a Roman and Greek connection here. The Roman and the Greeks were the ones that worshipped these centaurs and satyrs and these half-man, half-god type things. Again, I know it's weird. I don't know what it all means. But I do know that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. Genesis 6-4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, after the flood. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Or Genesis 36-24, this is a weird one. These are the sons of Zibion, I and Anna, and he is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father Zibion. You're reading about these people, and all of a sudden it just says, and this is the guy that found the hot springs. Some of them will say wild donkeys. There's just different translations to this word because it's the only time this word ever appears in the scriptures. So we have no word for it. So we don't know what he found. But it doesn't seem it was the hot springs. Interestingly, the book of Jasher, now again, I'm not putting Jasher as scripture here. But Jasher records what was going on here. And this is weird. This is, this is what it says. He, uh, 
he found. And while he was feeding his father's donkeys, he led them to the wilderness. While he was feeding them, behold, a very heavy storm came from the other side of the sea. And afterward, about 120 great and terrible animals came out from the wilderness at the other side of the sea. And those animals from the middle downward were in the shape of the children of men. And from the middle upward, I, it says, some had the likeness of bears, some the likeness of the kephas with tails behind them from between their shoulders reaching down to the earth like the tails of the, whatever that is. And these animals came and mounted and rode upon these donkeys and led them away. And they went away unto this day. And one of these animals approached Anna and smote him with his tail and then fled from that place. When he saw this work, he was exceedingly afraid of his life. And Ana and his brothers went no more to that place from that day following, for they were greatly afraid of their lives. This gives you some possible insight into what's happening, and this is weird. And you think, that's too weird, I don't believe in that. That's right, because we live in America. We don't live in India that believes in the spiritual warfare, the, the real spiritual stuff that goes on. We don't believe in things like Revelation when we get to the trumpets and you see these scorpions and these horses that have power in their tails. We don't, I mean, you read Re Revelation 5, it's no more normal or abnormal than this. Not five, the fifth trumpet and so on. What I find interesting is where did all these gods throughout history come from? Last week, or whenever we met before, we talked about the cherub, and we saw all of these winged creatures next to thrones, just like the Bible describes. Throughout history, we see all of these centaurs, half man, half God, just like what was described there in Jasher. That Genesis 36 may be talking about, that this Ana found these hot springs. Do you really think we care? There's a reason that's in Scripture. And it isn't about hot springs. I can tell you that. This brings me to the idea of corrupting seed. I'm not saying that someday we're going to see, you know, Andrew grow a horse leg or something. I don't think that's the case. But we are living in an area where transhumanism is a real thing, folks. It is no longer fairy tale. It is no longer weird. It might be for some of you listening, but it's not in the real world. Um, before I give you some of the evidence of that, let me just show you Isaiah 13:21. Desert creatures will lie down there and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches also will live there and shaggy goats will frolic there. Those words that we have as shaggy goats, you can't picture my daughter's goat outside. These are specific Hebrew words that deal with demonic creatures, devils. 
Shed is one Hebrew word. Deuteronomy 32.17 says they sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately whom your fathers did not dread. Those words that are used for them are shed. The same words that we see in Satanism and in this ancient artwork. This is a reality. I know we live in America, but not everything is of this world. We are in a matrix. 1 Kings 11.7 Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab. So oftentimes what's translated as demons or devils in Scripture are the exact same things that were worshipped by those that fell away in Israel, by the Babylonians and by the Assyrians. And they often are mimicking, again, cherub. You go, that's just weird. Yeah, so are cherub. So are the biblical good things. We're not of this world. We're foreigners here. So that shaggy goat, the Hebrew word there is sat, satyr or satyr. That is literally the goat demon. That's the Hebrew word used there in Isaiah 13. So we're not talking about your farm animals here. Some of them do say goat demons. Yeah, I don't know which translations, but some will say goat demon. We often miss it because of that. How many of you have heard by a show of hands here of Yuval Noah Harari? Why, not many of you. He's a philosopher, a historian in Israel. He is the top advisor to Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. Okay, this guy is huge. His influence is huge. Now, I don't want to get too deep on this, so I'm going to let you do your own research on your own, but I wanted to bring it to your attention for the sake of this corrupting of the seed. That the Antichrist wants to corrupt the seed. Is this from this year? Yes. And it doesn't always look like a half animal, half, you know, goat or half human being or whatever. I'm going to, hopefully this will pick up here. Watch this. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Now, why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. Now, what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical 
than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. All of life for 4 billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, science may enable life after being confined to, for four billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may enab enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Free will, that's over. That's over. Over. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized. Everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste because a crisis is an opportunity to also do re good reforms that in normal times people will never agree to. But in a crisis, you see we have no chance. So, 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 so let's do it. Vaccine won't help us go the to the test, of course. The vaccine will help <laughs> us, of course. It will make things you know, more manageable. Surveillance, people could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century, is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This I believe is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. The era of inorganic life is now beginning. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. We are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design. Kind of scary. And the only reason I bring this up again is to just, again, not make a prediction. But if you note that we're going to look back on the COVID virus as when you could be monitored because of under the skin. Well, what connection is there to the COVID virus in monitoring us under our skin? 
the injections. And so there's something about this. And listen, this isn't just, you know, kind of off in the corner. This is being talked about all over there among these global elites. Something's going on. Which seems to connect the white horse, COVID possibly, and the red horse. To have control, to take peace from the earth, to basically have people go against each other. And so, again, I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I think that we need to keep watchful about this and be wise and discerning about how we go about our life. And again, clean and unclean protects you from some of that too. I did not notice the white horse on the wall behind him. Oh, really? Wow, yeah, I did not see that. Yep. For 20 days or something within the embryo, they have done, if you do some, uh, I want to say chirality, and that's not it, that's the opposite left-handed, right-handed DNA. What's the word? Chi chi uh, chimera. If you just do some YouTube searches on chimera and stuff, you'll see what's going on. And it's wicked, it's evil. And it is, yeah, it is not in the corner anywhere. And this is a corruption of the seed of man. What the devil's plan is with it, I don't know. But I can tell you that God's word warns us to be protected from that. And that if you follow God's word, it shouldn't be an issue. And that it seems to be those Christians who follow the word of God, for the most part, who are on top of this, who understand clearly, I'm not doing this. I'm not taking that. There's something here. I don't have all the dots connected. And I'm kind of, I don't want to say straying from Revelation because I, do, I don't want to make current events the interpreter of Revelation. But at the same time, we have to be watchful and have these things in, in our mind. What I'm saying is it seems to be very we, uh, careful or uh, closely connected. I need to start finishing up. I'm only going to get through two horses tonight. Um, I want to show you here the first director general of WHO, okay, the world health organization that we are now so familiar with. Um, he was Brock uh, Chisholm. It says uh, here, this is his ideology that he has. He says, the pretense is made that to do away with the right and wrong would produce uncivilized people, immorality, lawlessness, and social chaos. The fact is that most psychiatrists and psychologists and other respected people have escaped from moral chains and are able to think freely. This guy was a communist, uh, and, and what he is saying here, escaping moral chains, that's absolutely demonic. And these are the kinds of people who want to destroy America and who are still in charge of the New World Order and who. Okay, this who was put together with an agenda. No doubt about it. He continues, what basic psychological distortion can be found in every civilization of which we know anything. The only psychological force capable of producing these preversions is morality, the concept of right and wrong, the reinterpretation and eventual eradication 
of the concept of right and wrong are the belated objectives of nearly all psychotherapy. So what's the goal of the first director of who? To get rid of morals and morality. I think that what's happening is exactly what the red horse at least patterns. Peace is being taken from the earth because if we can't agree on the standard of morality, you won't be able to agree on anything. And we have become people of lawlessness as well. So if the white horse indeed has been released, the red horse will follow. And maybe the white horse is just kind of at the starting gate. I don't know. <clears throat> but with Roe v. Wade, like I said, this being overturned, I just did not think it would happen. Why now? We've had all these years. It is breeding chaos. And from a spiritual perspective, I can't help but wonder, again, I'm not God, I don't know, but I can't help but wonder, is if this also isn't a separating of the sheep and the goats. Just like what happened with COVID, we see the blessings that have come out of it. It exposed so many of these compromised church leaders, these compromised ministries. Now, just this simple bill, and I'm not on Facebook, but I hear people talking about it. I can't even be on Facebook, they say, because of all the comments. And we're seeing people who have come to our churches that are getting all upset that the government has, you know, stopped murder. murder. Yeah. It hasn't even banned abortion. It just puts it back at the state. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing that in some hand, I, I, I can't, in some way, I can't help but think that God is also being merciful. And he's saying, listen, I am now giving you, you guys didn't have, I mean, what could you do? You were powerless. Now I'm giving you some power. And I'm going to allow you to have a little bit of authority. Let me see what you do with it so that I can decide which, what I'm going to do with you. An olive branch. Again, I don't know if that's God, what he's doing, but I can see that. That he's saying, all right, you're taking a stand. This guy over here is going to church. No, nope, that divide is getting greater. We're going to continue. He's taking peace from the earth. But while peace is being taken from the earth, those who understand are uniting. And they are finding peace in Jesus, peace in his promises, peace in truth. And we have to think along those lines or else revelation will drive you crazy. But I think that's the truth of it all. So if this is the pattern, what comes after the red horse? You're going to see an economic collapse. I think we are really close. I don't care if you're watching CNN or MSNBC or whatever. Even they're saying it. What's that? Yeah, they think it's a good thing. They want it. Yeah, they're just preparing you for it so that they can take over. So I think we're on track. Let me show you here Joel 3.1. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah, Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them, 
there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Well, that's interesting. Alger Hiss here, pictured there. This is the guy that formed the UN, United Nations. He was close friends with, guess who? Brock Chisholm, the guy that I just showed you, the communist. Okay, the UN was formed on October 24th of 1945, which is the 17th of the month of, on a Jewish calendar, 5706, which is basically believed the day Noah's flood began. Resolution, resolution 181 was the resolution that the UN passed to divide Israel. And here we see that this is exactly what they want to do. In those days, at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah to Jerusalem, we're seeing people fleeing. I mean, Jerusalem is exploding with people going back. And it says, I'm going to gather the nations. Is that what God is setting us up for? I don't know, but we have to keep watching. I don't think it's an accident that Joel tells us that all nations would gather after Israel, to Israel, and they became a nation to where they could do that in 1948, the same time around the UN formed in 1945. Kind of like at the Tower of Babel, when all the nations were gathered... That's when God came down to bring judgment. The UN is no friend of America or the Jews, especially not Israel. It says, few Americans know that the UN Secretariat has become a haven for the communist and security risks who had been officials of the U.S. government in the 1940s. In 1952, the Senate Inter Internal Security Subcommittee spent two months studying the activities of the U.S. citizens employed by the U.N. Its report stated American communists who had been officials of the U.S. government penetrated the Secretariat of the U.N. after the U.S. government had been apprised of security information regarding their conspiratorial activities. In other words, they were infiltrating the U.S. Now... I think we're communists. The leaders of our government, that's exactly what's happened. John Stormer fought against communism in the 1960s, and that's what he was warning us about here. And so, again, these same verses that we've looked at, to kill one another. Isn't it interesting what the symbol of communism is? A red horse. It just, it seems to fit that that's the direction we're headed. And communism wants you to fight one another. This John Stormer, he continues, he says, It's a disease of the intellect. It promises universal brotherhood, peace, and prosperity to lure, lure humanitarianism, humanitarians and idealists into participating in a conspiracy which gains power through deceit and deception. Sounds like America stays in power with brute force. What are we hearing going on in the news about emergency orders over climate? Right? Biden wants to declare these emergency orders so that we're in a state of emergency, giving him the right to be able to tell companies what you can make, how much of it you can ship, what you can't make. He gives him ultimate authority by force. 
Communism promises free college, free phones, you know, all this stimulus money. Okay, all you have to do is tell people what they want to hear. All you got to do is get a shot. You know, they're already in some of these countries, these apps uh, in Ukraine. Right now, there's this app, I don't remember what it was called now, but in order to get this stimulus money, you have to be vaccinated. And you download this app, and this app also then gives uh, tracking uh, uh, abilities and whatnot. So, if we just look at communism as a whole, this is where we're headed, and that does seem to fit what the Bible describes as the red horse. Could just be a pattern, but it seems to be fitting. He says it has delivered, rather than free health care and free all this other, it has delivered mass starvation, poverty, and police state terror to its own people and promoted worldwide strife and hatred by pitting race against race, class against class, and religion against religion. That's what they really deliver, and that does sound exactly like America. Last slide here, <clears throat> Joel 3, 1 again. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land, they cast lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes, they sold girls for wine to drink. I think in the last two, three years, it has come out all of the sex trafficking from our elites and what is going on. It is just crazy. But why does God do this? Why does he allow it? It's simple, to destroy those nations. He is going to bring judgment down on them in the valley of Jehoshaphat. So we need not fear. We just need to be wise and stand up and be a light for those who just can't see things as of yet so I think it's the same thing you know with this Roe v. Wade being overturned it's going to bring separation and and destruction can come from it but I think it's a good thing because it also gives us an opportunity now to see who's on our side whose side we need to be on and who we need to hang out with so keep that in mind, and with that, I'm going to kind of close it down for tonight, but just don't be fearful. What's happening is not out of God's control any more than Haman, you know, when he was going to try and kill the Jews. God is in control. So we'll close in prayer, and we will pick up with the third and fourth seals, those horses, next week. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your word, and though, Lord, we've kind of looked at the world around us and done some speculation, we don't know what all is in store outside of this, that you will fight for us and you will be there, and that we need not fear death, we need not fear economic collapse, we need not fear any of that, because, Lord, our gold and silver cannot save us, but you can, and even in death, we have victory. We thank you for that that there is nothing, that we fear not he who can destroy body and soul, but we just fear the one that can destroy body and soul and throw them into hell. 
I should say we don't fear that who can destroy the body. We fear the one that can destroy both body and soul in hell. And that's you. And I'm just so glad that you are on our side. And I just pray that you continue to open up our eyes so that we can serve you and that we can do it acceptably. Through your son, Jesus Christ, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us understanding that uh, we might bring others to understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray. Amen.